Hi, this is Carrie Ann Reed Brown, and this is Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I am very excited about my guest. I discovered him a few years ago while watching what Kirk Hamilton does at Tech Beat Summit. And so I'm very excited to have Marlon Nichols on the podcast. Marlon, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So why don't you tell the community of friends a little bit about who you are, Caribbean country you represent, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. I was I was born in Jamaica. Um, I left Jamaica, I think, when I was about seven to move to New York. So I basically grew up in a place called Mount Vernon, uh, New York, high school in the Bronx. But I spent every summer in Portmore, Westmead specifically, um, with my grandmother until I was about 15. And that's when I got into, into sports and started going to um, sports centers, summer camps and things like that to hone my skills and, and the like. Today, I, um, I help lead a venture firm called Max Venture Capital. I live in Los Angeles, California, but I've lived in a number of places. I mentioned two already, but also uh, I went to college in Boston at Northeastern, stayed there for a year afterwards, and then moved to London, central London in the UK for a while. Then it was back to um, the Manhattan in Harlem specifically. And then I went to business school at Cornell and Ithaca <laughs> and spent seven years in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area before moving here to LA about three years ago. Boy, they said Jamaicans everywhere. You're just all over the place. But that's good. It's really good experience. And, you know, even hearing the commonality of the story, you coming here and be going back home in the summer and staying with grandmothers, I totally relate to that. I have a lot of um, interesting adventures around going there. So tell me a little bit about how that experience of being born in Jamaica, moving to the U.S., and then going back to the Caribbean and how a little bit of how that experience helps, helped you, whether it did or did not. And how, how did that kind of help form or help you to be the person who you are today? Yeah, it's very important for me and my, my development because what it showed me from an early age is that people in different parts of the world live in different ways. Poor in the U.S. is very different than poor in, in Jamaica. You know, um, wealthy in the U.S. is very different from wealthy in, in Jamaica. You know, the sense of, of community, you know, within your block is very different in one place versus another. Uh, so it just it just taught me, um, you know, that the world is a big place and there are a lot of differences. And, you know, you have to, if you're going gonna to survive and better yet thrive, you're going to have to acknowledge those differences and, and operate in, in a world with varying opinions, varying traditions, etc. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure, for sure. And also how the world sees us, because I remember growing up and people thought, had a particular view of what they thought Jamaica was. And I was like, no, this is not kind of how things are. And so having to help people see or reframe what that view is, do you find that for you personally, you kind of having to help people reframe that image of what it's like to be born in a quote unquote third world country or an, on an island and what they think that does to your experience here. Did you have any of those conversations? Yeah. When you're a kid growing up and, and you 
move to another country and you have a really strong accent, one, you get teased for the accent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As you get older, the, the accent is sexy or can be sexy. Yeah. So it's, it's like different different paradigms, um, same person, same country, same same background, um, but just where you are in life. And, you know, there were negative stereotypes about people from the Caribbean and, and Jamaica in particular, you know, that you have to navigate through as a as a young person. But as today, I think, you know, when I whenever I mention that I'm from I'm from Jamaica, it's everyone goes to the idea of sandals and Ochi and um, and the grill in Montego Bay and all the vacation areas in Jamaica and, you know, think that that is the lifestyle. <laughs> and yeah, and then you have to, you know, kind of uh, course correct and let them know, no, it's it's not really like that. It's actually very, very challenging for um, the vast majority of people that live in, in Jamaica. What you're seeing is the largest industry in Jamaica, which is tourism. Yes, a lot of times it's white sand and beaches and trying to say we're a lot more than white sand and beaches, but, you know, it's also what they're fed from an advertising standpoint. So that's kind of what they want to hold on to. So yes, a lot of those conversations we try to have here on the show about what that stereotypical view of Caribbean life. So switching gears a little bit, you've gone, you sound like you did a lot of sports and now you're doing venture capitalism. So there's this running joke in the community that Caribbean parents is Dr. Laya and all these careers that are, you know, really, you know, engineer are their ideal. How did you navigate where you are today with your parents? And how, how did they, did, was it a challenge explaining to them being a venture capitalist or what you do in the tech space? Tell me a little bit about that experience or those conversations. Yeah, so I mean, you know, my father and, you know, once he moved to the States as a mechanic and my mother um, went from nanny to hairdresser to owning her own own salon. So, you know, they they weren't, you know, that, I guess, class of, of Jamaicans where it was lawyer, doctor, engineer or, or nothing. It was where, you know, we moved to this country to give you a, a better... Um, give you opportunities that we didn't have mm -hmm. from an education standpoint. And we're going to trust you to, to figure out what it is that you're going to um, to do with all the sacrifices that we made. And, uh, you know, I kind of stumbled into, you know, into venture capital or it was a windy road to get here. When I first went to um, undergraduate school at Northeastern, my major was architecture. And I just thought it would be cool to design you know, these amazing structures that can define a geography or, or space and, and being associated with it. And, you know, I got there and I hadn't, I hadn't drawn a thing in my life. Right. Uh, so that wasn't going to, wasn't going to work out, but even more importantly is that I didn't, I didn't really like it. Um, I didn't enjoy it. So, you know, there I was, you know, the middle of my, um, my first year at, at school almost having like a um an internal crisis like okay well what what am i going to do and fortunately you know i had a, a close friend um steve his name that was a year ahead of me and he had just started this major called management information was which was this convergence of um or intersection of technology and, and business 
And so you didn't have to quite be an engineer, but you did, you know, you took computer classes, computer centric classes, and then you took all the business classes and always into um, technology and electronics and all that stuff. So I thought, yeah, this, this feels more fitting. And, you know, my mom as a, as an entrepreneur, small business owner, you know, I saw the, the need for understanding the way that business works. And so that's how I picked the major and um, transferred over and um, was fortunate enough. Uh, Northeastern has a co-op program, which is it's basically an internship program, but it's an extended internship. So it's a six months, a six month stint with your, you know, whatever company you're working with. And um, one of my internships was with Hewlett Packard and in Cupertino, California. And I had never been to California before that. And it just, the experience was just so enlightening. You know, the, the, the culture was different. You know, no one was wearing suits to work. There was a concept of flexible time. So, you know, you can come in at, at 10 o'clock and, and just leave later, or you can come in early and, and leave earlier. Uh, and, and then there was just this concept of startups and entrepreneurship that was just all around me at the time. And so that, that got me really interested in, um, in the startup space. So as I got closer to graduation, I, I only looked at, you know, startup companies or companies that would serve a startup company. And kind of fortunately and unfortunately at the same time, I, I landed a job with a company called Breakaway Solutions. And Breakaway was a, basically a dot-com consultancy. So the, the vast majority, or technology consulting, but the vast majority of our clients were um, dot-coms. And this is in, you know, at 2000. And so right when I was starting with the company, a lot of our clients were starting to go out of business. And so, you know, I think it was maybe six months in, I was seeing people getting laid off and didn't understand exactly what was happening. And um, fortunately, I met a mentor at the time, a guy named Maurice Coleman. He sat me down and, you know, explained that, okay, yeah, you're doing well, you're getting promoted, but the more senior, more expensive folks are getting um, fired because the business isn't going well. And so um, you're, you know, you're essentially cheap labor right now while they try to keep the lights on. And, and so, you know, gave me advice. You should probably start looking, you know, for what your next thing is going to be. And fortunately, I, I landed at a, um, a software company called Frictionless Commerce. And, you know, I, I joined them to lead global implementations and then ended up moving to, um, to Europe to help launch the, um, the office or the UK to launch the office of service, the, the UK and Europe. And, you know, spent two and a half, three years there um, building that. And the company ultimately got sold to SAP. And at that point, it was time for me to come back to the, to the U.S. and, um, you know, try something else. I knew I didn't want to be in a, in a um, software startup again. I just don't have the attention span for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted, I wanted variety. And so at that point, I said, all right, let me try consulting because I, I felt like consulting, I get all the variety I needed. I later learned that it's not really the case. You know, you become an expert in something and, you know, that's where you're going to get billed out for. And yeah, so I, I started the consulting job, um, program manager, and I led, you know, kind of the creation of shared services organizations and um, technology selection and um, resource planning and, and stuff like that for the Blackstone group for a while. And then um, 
moved into more of a strategy role for focused on media and entertainment. And so that job was, I was a principal strategist at that point, and, and that job was to um, work with companies like Warner Music and McGraw-Hill um, to figure out, you know, how, what is the best way for them to navigate this thing called the internet that's in some ways cannibalizing their business? How can they turn it around and, and make it an asset versus a liability? And, you know, that was fun for a while. Um, I really enjoyed aspects of, of, of consulting, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite enough. And uh, at that point, I said, you know, what else can I do? Um, what else is out there? And, you know, what do I like? And, and you know, what do I want my days to, to be like? And it, it, I guess I realized that, you know, I, I really enjoyed interacting with smart people. I love being around technology and, and lots, lots of it and learning about it um, day in and day out. Um, I really enjoy, you know, strategic conversations around operations and, um, and growth strategy. And I didn't want to pop in and, and, and then just pop out and, and not see how things pan out. And so that kind of led me to venture capital. And um, so I was all right, I'm going to go back to business school to kind of get tighter on my um, financial analysis skills and uh, to develop a network in the venture space and um, end up going to Cornell. I was fortunate enough to, to go on a full scholarship. And the really cool thing about attending business school at Cornell for me was that it has an MBA-led venture firm, a pre-seed fund, that I was fortunate enough to lead um, while I was there. And that, that experience, you know, I was able to, to, to leverage it to network pretty deeply into the venture capital community. And so ultimately, I graduated um, and joined Intel Capital, which was the largest and most active venture firm in the world at the time. I think the, as a team, we deployed uh, anywhere between 200 and 500 million um, U.S. dollars per year around the world. And so that was a tremendous kind of learning, learning experience and training ground for me. At one point while I was at Intel, they sponsored me to go through the Kauffman Fellowship program and that kind of opened my eyes to a lot more things and I felt like I was selling myself short by um, investing on behalf of Intel Capital as opposed to developing my own strategy and investing for myself, my partners and and my limited partners. And so that's when I started our first fund which is called Cross Culture, which focused on <clears throat> seed stage companies primarily, you know, se- sector and industry agnostic, but following um, what we call cultural investing, which is keeping an eye on pop culture and emerging trends to, you know, determine um, which of those trends are going to become social norms and be around for a while. And then invest in companies that are building solutions that, that fit with the way we see the world going based on that research. And uh, yeah, because the cross culture is five years old now, performing extremely well. And as we're thinking about the next fund and growing it, I was developing a pretty tight relationship with my now partners who were running a separate venture fund called um, M Ventures. And we made the decision to, to merge our operations and rebrand to Mac Venture Capital, which stands for M Ventures and Cross Culture, or the first initial of you know the partner's first name, which is Marlon, Mike, Adrian, and Charles. And so, yeah, that's where, that's where we are today. And that's, that's kind of how I, how I got into venture. That is an amazing story. I have so many questions. 
but you know, in the interest of time, I'll just like keep some of those questions. But you know, what struck me early, you you had the mentor, Mr. Coleman, Maurice Coleman, who, Maurice Coleman. right, who yeah. had that, who just had that really frank conversation. And it's like, wow, you know, one of the things that I've really realized is that people tend to have these mentors who are able to give them real talk, you know, right at the right moment and then kind of inspire you to do this, you know, okay, what is my next move? You need to be making a move and forcing you to kind of think of those next moves. So I guess my first question is, for anyone who's saying, you know, boy, I wish I had a Maurice Coleman in my life. What would be something you'd suggest for people to do to get around more people or to find that mentor who can kind of give them that real talk, stop your foolishness, do you, you know, that type of mentor that I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, I, I think it's, for me, it, it's part lucky, but um, luck is about the situations that you put yourself in and then being prepared to um, take advantage of, of the um, opportunity. And so what I, what I did was I would, you know, I was telling any and everyone that would listen what I wanted to do and, um, you know, and where my situation was, you know, and that I, I was looking for people to, um, to, to talk to and to get guidance from. And through that process, I don't even remember who it was that introduced us, but um, but someone introduced us, and and we just we we just connected and developed a relationship where um, we could have very frank conversations, like et cetera. And that's kind of how you know I've had a number of mentors um, at different stages of my life that have been amazingly impactful, and they've all kind of come about in that way. You know, just uh, organic kind of relationship that, uh, you know, came from just being transparent and open. Um, I think a lot of times uh, people just aren't open. And so, you know, if, if you're not open and, and inviting, how can you welcome that blessing or opportunity? Mm. And, yeah, I love that. I love hearing stories of how people get or or get in touch with mentors and you're right it is not only the transparency but you know if you ask for a mentor be ready to take what the mentor goes say whether you like it or not and i think that's like you know being having a mentor well, go ahead well i'll say not not whether you like it or not right because um at the end of the day it's still still your life and your career and um and your decision to make i think what is important though is being able to to hear mm-hmm. the um the feedback or the guidance right and then being able to take that on board and figuring out what that means for you right you're not looking for you know someone to dictate or run your life but someone or a group of people the more you have the better um that can you know share experiences that that they've had or you know um things that they've seen for you to take on board and, and, and make, you know, more informed decisions. Yeah. Essentially the, the tough conversations, because sometimes, you know, people will say something and you will not like it. So, and like you said, you, people make the decisions, what they want to do with it, but just like you said, be willing to hear it and it'll be tough. And it's for you to figure out, is this really for me or is it not for me? So I really like hearing these stories. And then the other thing you did was you took inventory when you realize that, you know, you like the variety, what else do you like? 
how else could you be living your life? I, I, I love that you took inventory of what you wanted to feel and experience going into work or, or even not work life and then just help find a way towards that kind of leading with how this makes you feel or, you know, looking at a different thing. So in terms of what people should be doing to figure out what feeds their soul, how often should people consider this evaluation of life? And if what you're doing, like you said, is it enjoyable? Is it fulfilling? How often do you find yourself in this place evaluating whether what you're doing is the right thing for you to do? Yeah, so you need to be a very curious person to um, to find any form of, of success in, in venture capital. And I am naturally a very curious person. So, you know, if I stumble on something, uh, it's very easy for me to, you know, to go down a rabbit hole and start just chasing information to to really learn as much as I can about something. Like I mean, me. the, 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 yeah, the idea of, you know, of becoming a, a, a venture capital professional you know, also came from a, a interaction I was having with that, that same mentor, um, Maurice. You know, he was at the time doing community banking for Bank of America, which was, which is to say that, you know, he was providing um, loans and lines of equity to small businesses that could have great impact on specific communities. Uh, so he was essentially funding um, startups to, to grow, albeit, you know, grow to a different scale uh, than, than the work that I'm doing today. But the, the concept is, is pretty much the same. You are, you're funding, um, you know, these evolved projects that become, that become businesses and, and grow and, you know, return a value to your firm and, and community. And I thought that work was really interesting. And one of the things he did was he gave me this book, Winning Angel, which is all around um, how some of the iconic companies that we know were fun were funded early and and grew into into what they are you know today and in, it became clear to me it's like I want to do that <laughs> and I think I can do that you know and so then as I expressed that the, the next thing was all right well um, he put me to work he's like look I got these things that uh, that I'm evaluating um, well and I slide them to you and. You know, you take a look at them and give me your give me your perspective, mm-hmm. um, and we'll talk about it. And so I essentially started doing the doing the work before I had any of the credentials to, um, uh, to do it. Uh, just kind of just kind of helping him out. But yeah, back to your your original question. Yeah, I, you have to be you have to be curious. You have to explore. If you're and 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 you know, you also have to have this like insatiable appetite, right? Mm-hmm. You always want want to know more, um, want more, want to do more, et, et cetera. Yeah. I think that's how, you know, you evolve as a person. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what really, I'm like rubbing my hands to really kind of jump on this. So your funds, the first con- funds cross culture ventures, and now where you are, you're keeping an eye on pop culture trends that will be kind of the future where the world is going. Love that. So. Now, carry on, friends, the Caribbean American podcast. I'm curious, are you notice any trends happening within the Caribbean at large or Jamaica that, you know, people should be keeping an eye on and is 
could be the future. I don't know. I'm so curious because this, this is really what piqued my interest. I realized that you had a very keen eye on what was happening in the culture, whether it was music, music and tech. And it was just like, no one is really doing that when in actuality, a lot of what's happening culturally, it's from black and brown folks. So I'm really curious to hear what you're think what you're seeing that's a potential in the from the Caribbean, whether it's in the region or the diaspora, that could be trends. Well yeah. I mean, so we actually just published a report on um kind of diversity with the Kaufman Fellows program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the findings is that black and brown people are earning technical degrees and business degrees at a far um, greater rate than um, the non-diverse people. And so you pair that with the fact that, you know, those communities tend to to spend a lot more money, a lot more of their disposable income on um, new technology, new products, their early adopters, et cetera. But at the same time, no one is building anything that's necessarily specific to their needs, their communities, um, et cetera. And so, you know, one of the things that we that we looked at and we, we call this this concept culture as currency is well what if what if you explored uh, kind of the de- deficiencies in those communities and and you started to build solutions that solve some of those challenges. I think you would have like this group of people that are, you know, that are early adopters that uh, spend on things that they don't necessarily need. If you can, if these things make a real impact or can make a real impact in their life, I mean, the obvious conclusion is that, yeah, they're going to, they're going to spend against it. So, uh, so one of the things we look for is uh, what are some of the challenges within these communities that um, haven't been, haven't yet been solved or adequately addressed? Are there people going after the challenge right now? And do we think they're, they're smart enough to, you know, to build something incredible and win that? You know that that's one area. Jamaica specifically, I started. Uh, I, so I've been going back to as an adult now, back to Jamaica every year for the last five years. I think. Mm-hmm. I think it started. It kind of started with with Tech Beach and um, going down and, and seeing all of the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that are now building technology companies, yep. right? Apps or whatever you want to, whatever. All they run the gamut, and I I did not know that you know that was a that was a thing, right? And now I'm working with the uh, Development Bank of Jamaica and, and, and others on a program that, that's soon to be announced uh, around entrepreneurship, um, specifically around technology, you know, in, in Jamaica. And it's the it's the proliferation of the internet and mobile technology that's making this possible, right? Because back in the days of an Intel and an HP, you needed a lot of money to um, to develop these things, right? And you needed space. Well, now, you know, you could... Developed an ama- you can develop an amazing company with very limited funds and a laptop, and so and, and and access to the internet, right? And so as more and more of the islands, you know, get as the internet becomes ubiquitous, like truly ubiquitous, and access to it becomes truly ubiquitous, um, we're going to see a lot of smart people from the islands developing things specific to to their to their communities, to their country, to that region, and. I haven't found it yet, but I know it's out there. There have been other companies, you know, Digicel is is one. 
that basically is the largest mobile telecom in in the Caribbean. Oh, I think it's 32 properties in the, in the Caribbean, and they have representation on all 32. You know, there are other. Um, there will be another Digicel focused on on some other area. I don't know what it is yet, mm-hmm. but there's some really really smart people on the island, and now they're they're more and more getting access to the tools to help them to um, to develop. And by the way, Jamaica is a very entrepreneurial um, country. Yeah. Right. I mean, you walk around, you know, you'll you might bump into five people in in less than a minute all selling stuff from a cart right mm-hmm. um it's just you know we find ways to hustle and 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 make money and be entrepreneurial and so you know once you once you give the access and the resources I think something incredible is going to happen and that's why I'm, I'm paying attention and you know I'm, I'm doing uh things like like what we're doing with the um, development bank that's awesome and you know my current version of my website carry on friends I actually worked with a person I know from Mobe. I am from Mobe and built my website. And I and it, that was intentional because I knew he had the skills to do it. He doesn't do it freelance or on the side anymore. But it's like it was intentional. So when I have that conversation, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know people in Jamaica could do this. I'm like, why? And so it is really giving opportunity and, you know, letting people see that, hey, there are people here that have skills. And even any, most project that I do, I try to find people from Jamaica. So for instance, on the podcast, I talk Patua. And a lot of times it's very difficult to find, you know, good transcription. Of course, I go on Fiverr and I make sure I find somebody who is in Jamaica or, or anywhere else in the Caribbean who can understand what I'm saying and do a good transcription so like it's some some of those things require intentional intentionally supporting creatives back in the region to also explore opportunities that they could like you said grow beyond you know oh we could do transcription what about this what about this so it's i i think it's super important not only to be aware but support so as we wrap up marlon this was such a, an amazing conversation i do have one question. What is one misconception people have about, you know, I want to be funded. I, I, a lot of people said, oh, I want to get funding or something. What is a big misconception that entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs might have of what a venture capitalist does and what it means to be ready to ask for funding? Yeah. I, I think the, the biggest thing is that everyone thinks their business is venture fundable or backable. Um, and honestly, then not all of them are right. You can have, and that, that's not to say that it's not a great business. You can have a tremendous business, right, where you are the sole owner, or maybe it's you and a partner. You know, are the only owners of the company, and you're generating five million, ten million per year. That's a that's a great business, right? Because you know all those profits are going to you. A venture, you know, business has the potential to do hundreds of millions in revenue every year, you know, has the potential to, you know, be listed on a public stock exchange and be valued at, you know, billions of dollars, right? And not every company, you know, fits that. And so I always encourage entrepreneurs to, to really take a look at, you know, what they're building and have a, have a truthful moment with themselves as to the size of the market that they're, they're approaching 
and you know how much of that market they would need in order to to become a, a company valued over a billion dollars. If if a market is uh, you know 500 million, that's the size of the market. Well, then there's no way that you can. It, it's unlikely that you'll even become a 500 million dollar valued company because that would mean you take 100 percent of the market share. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just just having those kind of real conversations with yourself about what it is that what is what is this opportunity that you're going after? How big can it really be? What am I doing that's novel and defensible in in building in building this business? Just have those those real conversations with yourself. Well, Marlon, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and just sharing a little bit about your journey to being a venture capitalist and re- the the last bit there about what entrepreneurs need to really be honest and consider. Um, before thinking that they are, they want to seek funds for from a venture capitalist. So before we go, share website, social media where they could people could connect with your your companies or even you. So my personal Twitter handle is Marlon C Nichols or Marlon Christopher Nichols, but Marlon C Nichols. Same thing with Instagram, and our company is just Mac Venture Cap is the the Twitter and um, and Instagram as well. All right. And thank you again so much. And on that note, everybody, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience. We post new episodes every two weeks. And if you want to learn more, buy merchandise, or sign up for our newsletter, check out our website, carryonfriends.com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience. Produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.